stay home and don't go out unless absolutely necessary. That's been the message from public health officials through much of 2020 and the coronavirus pandemic. And the isolation necessary to stop the spread of COVID-19 could be doing damage to other areas of our health. While being alone is hard on mental health, it doesn't mean that you have to suffer from all the effects of loneliness. I'm Adam Toy. And I'm Dave McIver. And this is Why. Loneliness. It's a universal in the human condition. Absolutely. And I don't think there's a person on this planet who hasn't felt lonely. It is such a complex idea, loneliness, because it can happen as a state within a self, right? That's Dr. Heather McIntosh, a clinical psychologist and associate professor and director in the MSCA in couple and family therapy program within the School of Social Work at McGill University. I could be in the world surrounded by people and filled with loneliness. But I think the loneliness that you're referring to now is the loneliness of isolation. And isolation in and of itself is a phenomenon that's not actually a big part of our life in Western society. We have built a culture that's very focused on uh, you know, what one achieves, what one accomplishes, the being surrounded by people and our work lives often were surrounded by people. So I think a lot of what you're talking about in terms of loneliness has a lot more to do right now in terms of con- con- uh, COVID mm-hmm. with isolation. The public health response to the coronavirus pandemic has been to issue a lot of stay-at-home orders to prevent the spread of this novel virus. But having to stay home, not see friends, family, co-workers or neighbours for fear of spreading the virus has resulted in that isolation. So how does isolation affect human beings who are essentially social beings? We are in inherently social beings. It's part of how we survived. We survived by being connected to others and we have a very long um, infancy and early development. So when we're little people, it actually takes us a long time to be able to feed ourselves and take care of ourselves. And that's fundamentally because we have these big brains we're walking around with. And those big brains are great, but they take a long time to develop. So our evolutionary history means that we've survived as a species because we gathered in social groups. And now all of a sudden, here we are in this very bizarre time in history where the world is saying, stop gathering in social groups, go home. And for many of us, home is a sanctuary. For many of us, home is a place where we feel safe and we feel, you know, like our little nest. But for many others, home is not a safe place. And we, we really need to bear those folks in mind people for whom home has been a very dangerous place. My research area is trauma. I work primarily with people who've experienced the worst kinds of traumas during their childhood. And for this group of people, being at home can feel incredibly dangerous, either because of a real threat. So we're very concerned about families where there's violence and children were in daycare or school. Maybe that violence flying under the radar 
but those children are at least in school and daycare part of the time and getting some nourishment emotionally, psychologically, even physically from those environments. So we're quite concerned about isolation from the perspective of some of the protective factors that a child who's maybe in a not-so-great environment experiences by being out of the world. But then there's also folks for whom their childhoods were so filled with danger that even being in a home where they might, objectively speaking, be safe, doesn't feel safe, especially the idea that they can't leave that home or that they shouldn't leave that home. So being at home can feel very, very dangerous, even if there's nobody else there. A lot of folks in our society also use work, parties, gyms, hobbies as ways of coping with internal distress, depression. You know, the people who use exercise or for my for me I'm a musician, I sing in choirs and I, mm. I do things with my I ride horses. So there's all sorts of ways that we use the social environment to buffer our mental health. So if we might be a person who has a bit of trauma or who's prone to depression or anxiety, we use these social environments to buffer us, to help us feel better about ourselves, to feel more in connection. And in the absence of those things, for many of us, we're kind of left alone with ourselves. And our society has not really taken care of helping us all to be better prepared for being alone with ourselves. Do you see loneliness as kind of a shadow pandemic of of COVID-19? I don't know that I would use that language. What I'm seeing is, I guess, the mental health pandemic that's going Mm. along with this Mm -hmm. is how, you know, all the dragons are popping out of all the boxes. Mm. So for someone who maybe has struggled with depression but has had it under control, because they've been able to build a life for themselves where they feel okay, all of those things have been stripped away. Or for someone who has a history of trauma, but they've built a good social network for themselves, they've built good relationships, they've found some value and self-esteem in their work, and if those things are stripped away, it's like we're, we're all having the layers of protection stripped away, and we're left with ourselves. We do not live in a society where we have been, I guess, valued in developing that inner sense of self and connection. Of course, we we need social connections. It's part of who we are as biological, social, emotional beings. But there's something about having all of the exterior things stripped away. And so for some people, that might look like a real acute sense of loneliness. But for others, it might evoke a huge amount of traumatic anxiety. So different people in different contexts are going to respond in different ways. Now, we have students at the university who haven't seen a family member since September of 20... What are we now? So September of 2019, Mm. a lot of international students Mm. came to Montreal to study, they were going to go home in the summer, and the pandemic hit in March, and they were afraid, rightfully so, I think, 
that if they went back home to a zone that was different than the zone they were in, they wouldn't be able to come back. So we have students who are 18, 19, 20 years old, thousands of miles from home, you know, on a different continent, living in an apartment by themselves. These, you know, they are just becoming grown-up humans. The anxiety, the fearfulness that this evokes, because it's not just about isolation, it's also about a kind of existential anxiety that a lot of people are experiencing right now. What is the world going to be like when we come back together? What does it mean that I'm this far from home? What's happening at home? So you take a you know a young adult who's striking out on their first adventure of university, and it should be fun and exciting. And instead of fun and exciting and parties and you know study groups and spending time with their class and their friends, they're alone at home in a tiny little apartment, worried about money, worried about whether they can, you know, get enough food, whether they can manage the next homework assignment because they're filled with Zoom fatigue and all of those other things. So again, this is a pandemic that has huge mental health consequences. Some people will experience that as the consequences of isolation being an acute sense of loneliness. But for others, it's going to evoke high levels of anxiety, a real existential dread. What What is this world going to look like on the other side? And for, for folks where the kind of practical part of life isn't sorted out, so they don't have a stable income, perhaps they've been laid off because they can't do their job in COVID, the financial and the practical anxieties supersede in many ways things like loneliness because it's it's hard to sit quietly with yourself when you're terrified about not being able to feed your kids. Dr. McIntosh, you gave five, six, seven examples of different ways we can feel lonely and anxiety, which I think speaks to how complicated this issue is. How do we strike that balance then if we have things like Zoom fatigue, we can't see our friends and family? The difficulty to find that balance, I'm thinking, is quite great. How do we strike that? Oh boy, that's such a big question, <laughs> and I wish I had, I wish I had like a PhD level response to that. And you'd be like, yes, that's the answer. We're all going to feel better. <laughs> and, and I'm sorry to tell you, there isn't a simple answer. There are some simple things we can do. You know, I have, a, I have a number of colleagues who came to McGill from other places in the world, they live alone. They haven't been touched since March by another human being. Hmm. Like, 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 just take that in for a minute. Yeah. Like, if you, if, if you let that sink into your body, there are thousands, maybe millions of people on this planet right now who haven't been touched by another human being since March. That's going to have huge consequences in all sorts of ways. If we think about it at the very basic biological level, touch is hugely important for all those good chemicals in our brains that make us feel cared for, loved, not lonely, safe, secure, calm. All, all, the, all the chemicals that are connected to touch are the same chemicals that are connected to heroin. Right? The reason we're drawn to drugs 
and various kinds of addictive behaviors is because they make us feel better in the absence of healthy, loving, safe connection. So some of the things that we can do, we can let go of the false mythology that Zoom helps us stay connected, at least at the biological level. Zoom is a great technology. We would not have gotten through this pandemic as in, you know, in some ways as well as we have without being able to see other people. But there is a bit of a mythology that it's as good as human contact, and it is not. And I, I say this as a psychologist, but I also say it as a human being who's also been traveling this pandemic alongside my students and my patients and my friends and family. We long for human connection. Why else would people go out in their cars to take their baby to the window of the nursing home as opposed to, hey, Grandma, here's the Zoom. Take a look at the new baby. There are things that happen in our brains that are connected to the experience of seeing someone, feeling someone, touching someone in real time. So going out for walks and looking at three-dimensional space, going out for walks and looking at the other human beings who are on walks. It was interesting you uh, mentioning that there are, you know, untold numbers of people for whom they have not had physical touch for months on end now. It, 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 for some reason, it triggered, you know, memories of Psych 101 with the uh, Harry Harlow's Wire Mother experiment in which he had young rhesus... <laughs> right. So this for for folks who don't are are familiar with this, the wire mother experiment. Uh, Harlow had, took young rhesus monkeys uh, shortly after their birth and prevent and presented two different surrogate mothers. One was made of a soft terry cloth, but provided no food. The other was made of wire, but provided nourishment from a, an attached baby bottle. And uh, Harlow um, found that these monkeys spent most of their time on the terry cloth mother, the the, the surrogate, the as opposed, and, and only went to the wire monkey, the the wire mother, for occasional feedings. Uh, so that that just tweaked that to me, the the showing the importance of physical touch uh, for all of us, not just not just rhesus monkeys, but 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 for for everybody. Um, but I'd like to explore maybe the 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 often the 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 opposite side of 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 not dealing with well maybe not not dealing but but exploring leaning into one's loneliness. Can there be value found in leaning into one's loneliness? You said earlier that that you know our society doesn't really value us being with ourselves. Can there be value in that? Of course, but like chocolate bars which are, you know, fabulous, uh, it's all about dosage, right? Right, yes. So isn't it great, and as a therapist, I'm really a big proponent of helping people find ways to sit quietly with themselves, reflect, take space to really listen to what's happening inside themselves, especially if they're trying to make a difficult decision and they're feeling really conflicted. But taking that space to be mindful and reflective is hugely valuable in an appropriate dose. Remember, perhaps the part you missed about the Harlow experiment, 
a lot of those monkeys died. Yes. And we would never, ever allow that research to be done again. It's now shown as a, yes, it's an example of how we understand attachment, but it's also shown as an example of really dangerous research. Mm-hmm. So being able to reflect, to have time, to have space, these are really important things. Our society does not value them enough. We are all running around like, you know, chickens with our heads cut off, trying to get a gargantuan amount of stuff done and we don't spend enough time sitting quietly in reflection to really think about what the important things are and I think if we did do that the state of our relationships and even the state of our planet would be in better shape because we would be more mindful about the decisions we make around being connected to others our work life over work so Yes, but loneliness is not the same as mindfulness. Mm. Loneliness is a state of absence, a state of longing, a state of yearning. In fact, in some ways, it's hard to imagine being able to be fully reflective and present if one is also in a really activated state of yearning and longing and feeling whether it's fearful about coming back into connection or despair of a lack of connection. I know we'll have some people who are feeling lonely listening, listening to this podcast. And I just want to know what your message would be to them as, as we go through these times where we want to be doing all the things we normally would be doing on Christmas and New Year's. What your message would be to people out there who are feeling lonely? Oh, well, my message, me, you know, Heather to the world, <laughs> I guess would be, <laughs> That, you know, we all have a space of of compassion and love and belonging in the universe. And to remember that each of us is, you know, a unique and special and, in some cases, fascinating creature that has a place and belongs. But at the bigger level, not me to the world, but, you know, in, in at the larger level, that it, you know, hold on. Hold on. This isn't going to be forever. And reach out. Even though Zoom and FaceTime and all of the various technologies aren't perfect, they are there. And remember that mental health services have not gone away. Um, There are many people who have not sought out services because they're not wanting to use up services others or women who maybe need to go to a shelter are not going because they're afraid that they're closed. They are not closed. Shelters are open. Mental health services are open. Therapists are seeing clients on Zoom or by the telephone. Reach out. If you need help, ask for it. Seek it out. If loneliness, both as a mental state and as a result of isolation, is an absence of connection. Is it just as simple as building those connections, as just reaching out to help relieve a sense of of loneliness and and, and anxiety? No. (laughs) Wouldn't it be lovely if it was? (laughs) The reality is that for many of us, the experiences we've had in connection with others have been 
destructive or dangerous, frightening or traumatizing. So there, you know, you can be surrounded by lovely human beings and still be afraid to reach out. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, one of the things about therapy is it's not just about, you know, dental floss for your brain. It's also about having a relationship with someone who, in theory, is a safe, compassionate, kind human being who's not going to hurt you. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, or like uh, training wheels for relationships. Try this, try out your therapist, and if that works, go out to a party and see if you can connect with some humans. But it, it, it's incredibly complicated, and the more we add, Netflix and video games and a lot of non-human ways of spending our time that are really dissociative, which is sort of just a fancy word for not really being present. The more we add those as the norm and children grow up in a world with more screens than people, it becomes harder and harder to even know how to reach out and to know how to connect with others. So it's it's not as simple as just saying, make a phone call, connect. You have to have A, the will, B, not a huge trauma history that would make reaching out frightening or difficult, but also the skills to know how to connect with others. If you're feeling lonely or if you feel like your mental health isn't right, Dr. McIntosh had a number of different resources that you can go to. She said there's lots of online content, including within the mindfulness movement, art, music, or physical activity like going for a walk or doing yoga can help. 12-step programs for people struggling with addictions have gone online and many are free. And even talk therapy has gone online, including community-based social health services like crisis counseling. If you or someone you know is in crisis and needs help, resources are available. In case of an emergency, please call 911 for immediate help. The Canadian Association for Suicide Prevention, Depression Hurts, Kids Help Phone, 1-800-668-6868, and the Trans Lifeline, 1-877-330-6366, all offer ways of getting help if you or someone you know may be suffering from mental health issues. This Is Why is produced by me, Dave McIver, and Adam Toy. It's a national radio show and a podcast. You can reach us by email, thisiswhy at globalnews.ca, and on Twitter at thisiswhy. If you like what you hear and want to hear more, make sure you subscribe to This Is Why so you never miss an episode. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing, tell a friend. Thanks for listening. Wash your hands, wear a mask, and take care of yourself. We'll see you soon.